Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is supported by Chimney Fire Coffee. Chimney Fire Coffee. Supporting ethical and eco-friendly practices. Chimney. All the way from farm to cup. Fire Coffee. They source their beans from El Salvador, Ethiopia, Peru and Brazil. Then they roast them in the Surrey Hills. In the nice bit between Guildford and Dorking. Jimmy! They work directly with farmers. Buy a coffee! And they share their stories. Jimmy! Their packaging is fully compostable. Buy a coffee! Listeners to Three in a Bar can get 20% off their first coffee order. Simply head to chimneyfirecoffee.com and use the code 3inabar at checkout. This is Three in a Bar, a podcast where we are joined by a different musician every episode. I'm Seb Philpott. And I'm Verity Simmons. I play the trumpet. And I play the cello. Our guests could be from any part of the music world. We've spoken to pop stars, composers, orchestral musicians, singers, musical theatre performers and lots more. We chat about their careers, ambitions and get a glimpse into what makes each musician unique. Shall we sing the song? Oh, don't make me sing the song! Three, three in a bar! Hey, I tell you what, auto-tune is a wonderful thing. Seb, first round's on me. Hey, Verity, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited to present this very special episode to the people. Me too. This is a nice one. We were delighted to get to chat to Johannes Moser, the world-class cellist, German-Canadian that's right, He's well done. with so many leading orchestras, all of them probably, Yeah. by now. In fact, Seb, I've even got a very concise biography that we were sent of Johannes. So why, should I, should oh. I quote some bits at you? Yeah, go on. How about that? Okay. Johannes Moser is a German-Canadian cellist. You've said that. And I said that You bit. did. Well done. And he's performed with the world's leading orchestras and works... I said that as well. Yeah, you did. Did you say he works regularly with conductors at the highest level? No. I was going to say that. Oh, wait. <laughs> you carry on oh i'm sorry you... <laughs> his concerto highlights of the 21 22 season include performances with the san francisco symphony residente orchestra i've said that probably terribly belgrade philharmonic orchestra oregon symphony as art- artist in residence a belgian tour with the symphony orchestra vladern why have, even why have i even gone this? into this <laughs> Can we go back to the bit where you just said it? <laughs> anyway, let, suffice it to say, he's working with absolutely everyone. He's 
a legend. And he plays on a Guarneri cello from 1694, which I was really terrified to be even close to. <laughs> I know. It was right next to me. Yeah. It's from a private collection. Yeah. How much do you think that thing costs? I mean, so I wouldn't even like to say so much. So much I couldn't think about it and be in the same room as it. Otherwise, it would have been on the floor. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, yeah, it was great to chat to him. We chatted to him this week. We did for a very specific reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got a brand new album out called... Alone Together. Mm. He recorded it in lockdown and it's pretty much mostly multi-tracked cello. Mm. He did it everything. Yes. There are some other musicians as well, but basically it's uh, cello and electric cello. I think sometimes eight, eight of him, maybe sometimes 12 of him. Mm. It varies throughout uh, the pieces, but there's, there's uh, arrangements of pieces like the Holberg Suite by Grieg. That's incredible. Barber's Adagio for strings. Mm-hmm. And then some well-known cello uh, pieces like Popper. That's right, the Popper Requiem. That's right. Yeah. Um, There are then six brand new compositions by young American composers uh, that he has commissioned for this album, um, which are really sort of exploring recording technique, aren't they? And and the possibilities with his cellos. Yeah, it's uh, a real kind of of crossover Mm. record in a way because there are many elements when you listen to it that, are I find are quite similar to to some dance music or some, yeah. like that kind of ambient EDM, and it's so it's it's really interesting record and brilliant. I think it's not you know if you don't usually listen to cello music, um, this is a bit different to that. Also, but I mean his his playing like in that Holberg suite, the high the high mm. playing that it really like you were saying. Because you're, yeah. you're a cellist, you know these things. It's really <laughs> yeah. hard, isn't it, to play that high yeah. and accurately. It, and it sounded, I mean, it sounds like a violin. I mean, it sounds like violins. That sounds like such a daft thing to say. But it just like the, the tone of it is, it's just so extraordinary. It's beautiful. And we actually listened to this album, well, a couple of the tracks with him there, well, you're, you might well hear that right now, through Dolby Atmos, which is one of the very exciting elements of this album. It's been written to kind of listen in this extraordinary setting. Seb, will you explain it so I don't end up saying something daft, please? Right, so you normally have music these days that it's in stereo, so you have a left and a right speaker. Mm-hmm. That's basically what most people have. Well, this one, I need to check this because in the interview, I looked around and tried to count them all and I'm, I'm not sure if I got it right because there were... Uh, well, you'll find out how many I've got to. I can't remember. It was eight or ten. <laughs> it's a lot. Basically, yeah. you stand or sit in between all of these speakers that surround you. So you hear sound coming from every angle. It's a really amazing experience because I've never really yeah. experienced that. I mean, no. you go to the cinema, they always have good speaker setups. But yeah. listening to music and music that's been specifically written with it in mind, especially yeah. like the modern stuff where... You've got all kinds of sounds coming out. It's uh, really, it's just really breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah, it was incredible. You really felt like there were like six or seven different cellos at different points coming from different, that you were sat within a section, basically. It was amazing. Uh, This album, so if you're Keen Beans, you've downloaded this episode immediately. The album is out literally now, today, now. So you can listen to us, have a bit of background, then go and listen to the album, Alone Together. 
yeah, put it on. And even if you haven't got the Dolby Atmos, which I imagine 99% of you don't, <laughs> it still works very well in stereo. Yeah. If you do have it, give us a call. I want to come around to your house to listen to yes. it on that, please. <laughs> um, yeah, we recorded this at Platoon, which is this amazing place up in just north of King's Cross. That's where they've got this set up. And that's where he recorded this album too. Check them out. They work with some big named artists and... Uh, Nice place to be that. Yeah. Platoon. Yeah. They, they gave I love us lemonade. It. Yeah, I should have just I want to go there every the, day. Uh, <laughs> I want to go there every day. What we thought would be nice to do for this one is to just play you some of the album. We got permission for that. And then we'll go into the chat. Great idea. Let's do okay. that. Here we go. a complete joy to just stand and listen to those tracks with you mm. Johannes there it's fantastic it's a fantastic album how do you feel having uh, heard it like that it feels amazing it feels amazing to to have heard it how it was meant to be eventually yeah. especially after all this time in the booth uh just recording track over track over track over track because most of this is multi-tracking of course and um some of it is you know super super dry at first when you start recording it yeah just like a bass line or like a middle voice and you're like well you know what can this actually be at the end of the day and then you know after you've recorded like the fourth or fifth track suddenly like atlantis it starts to rise out of the water and it's, it starts to you know become something and to but to hear it now in in, in atmos is is quite something i must say yeah and I mean, you guys know it too from from all the whining that's been going on over the last decade that, uh, you know, the recording industry is dying and all of that. And I think everybody was looking for an experience that does not necessarily duplicate the listening experience in a concert hall, but actually it creates something unique. And I think what we just heard now is exactly that answer. Because I, you know, I, I don't know how, how you guys feel, but but like when I compare my listening when i have such complexity like an atmos my ear is searching for information it's not just um sound that is coming my way or our way but it's like i want to hear the details i want to hear the specificities of the track i want to hear what is lurking around the corner sonically speaking and and that's that's completely unique and i think this kind of engaged listening is something that that will go a long way uh, not just in in pop, but uh, but for us in classical as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it seems like the total um, polar opposite to listening to something on your phone, you know, on the on the worktop mm. or something. How <laughs> some people might consume media sometimes right. if they haven't got speakers. This is like the op- it's like the best you can, the best way of listening to something where you're just hyper focused, like active listening. Yeah. Well, it's so strange because you, you remember, like, with the advent of of YouTube, um, before that there was this this um development of of uh of television like we had our, our little like i don't know 13 inch <laughs> yeah. black and white t- telly and then it, it moved up to like an hd screen but at the same time with the advent of, of youtube we had 
a sort of lo-fi development as well. So people would record on their phones and it was crackly and it was like maybe 10 frames per second and stuff like that and um, really low resolution. And in a way, I think this duality of development in quality has continued. Um, so in a way, we have something like we've just listened now, like Dolby Atmos, and it doesn't get better than this, no. right? But at the same time, uh, people are completely fine listening to their favorite music on an, uh, on phone speaker um, while they are with 10 other people in a crowded room or uh, or in traffic or something like that. And, and it seems like, well, these are just so such different aesthetics and also such different uh, ways of wanting to experience music but also how to um how to engage with music i think mm. yeah. yeah really felt like we were in the heart of it i just especially the first track that you played us mm-hmm. i just i loved the fact that it, with the different cello sounds so even when you're in the same register that you could just pick out so precisely mm. different things coming it was incredible really mm. yeah mm. i just want to listen like that from now on <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will Google how much these cost. Yeah, this, yeah. This just just give it a Google. <laughs> exactly. Let's see what Amazon can do. How many do for are you. there in yeah. this room? How many? How many are? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's probably a subwoofer, a subwoofer um, somewhere. hiding somewhere. Yeah. 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 The six new compositions that you've got on this album, mm. were they all conceived with this in mind, with this sound world that you were going to create in mind? That's it. And with the six composers, was there any specific reason that you picked them? Had you worked with them before? Or So actually, it started at a completely different idea. Okay. Um, what, we, what we wanted to do originally, um, I had this fantasy that I would be able to create um, a surround sound sonic garden, so to speak. Um, with like creating a, a circle of music where people could step in and out. I don't know if you remember this art installation. There was this wonderful um, piece of art with 40, with a 40 voice motet by Thomas Tallis. Mm. And uh, you could go to each speaker of, of these 40 voices and you could listen to an individual voice. But if you were in the middle of those 40 speakers, you would hear the whole choir. And I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool if I could recreate something like that for the electric cello? And what I wasn't quite sure is the um, sort of mode of of, um, presentation that I could choose for it. So the idea came to me that there are still so many presenters that either cannot afford or are scared of new music. And uh, and especially in the US, we thought it would be a good idea to bring... um, this project with the eight speakers to a pre-concert lobby experience so that uh, patrons, you know, with their glass of bubbles in hand (laughs) could actually wander around in the lobby and check out those weird sounds that would come out of those eight speakers and actually at the same time get to know me um, on in a different way than just me being on the stage and a soloist, but actually breaking down those boundaries of a stage. And sure enough, uh, once that um, whole project was commissioned, Corona hit, and we were like, okay, that's it for lobby life. It's out the window and probably, you know, still will be for some time because people can come back. But I think people are not really in the mood to linger before a concert or to to just sort of, you know, hang out in concert halls. I think people come and go uh, mm. quite quite in a swift way. and. That's a pity because that whole concert experience that we offer, I mean, it, it doesn't start with the first note. It starts with you, you know, having the idea and then leaving home and making sure that you, you know, maybe uh, 
maybe it's your thing that you you dress in a fancy way and then you actually elevate the experience in, in a way that you can yourself and then you come to the concert hall you enter the lobby and already the experience is, is starting yeah? and um yeah so we wanted to be part of that part of that experience and, and then that was out the window with corona and we thought well what can we do with it now and that was exactly the moment when platoon and i got acquainted with each other and they said well we're looking for things that we can publish in dolby atmos and i was like well this is a perfect fit um i have a surround sound project and they were like done uh, just you know <laughs> where do i sign where do i need to make my cross and um Yeah, then a couple of weeks later, I found myself here in these beautiful studios at Tileyard in London. They are beautiful. And yeah. they are beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and it's a beautiful, beautiful atmosphere. And it's it's just so, um, almost feels too clean, but it's 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 just so pristine and wonderful. And uh, yeah, so I spent a couple of weeks here, actually, uh, not only recording these um, six composers, but also, of course, recording other repertoire. Mm. Now, the way I chose those six composers, um, it wasn't easy because I needed to find composers that at the same time are well-versed in, in classical music and in the classical language, but at the same time were tech-savvy enough to understand, not necessarily to produce, but to understand what this project could be about. Um Because, I mean, I wouldn't ask Sofia Gubadulina to write for eight speakers in cello. I mean, she, she would just look at me and like, what? I think she, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't really be up for that, for sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was not easy to find those, those composers. And I, I have a wonderful collaborator who is also supporting these pieces um, and, and supporting the, the financial aspect of it. And together we looked for uh, six American young composers, three female, three male. And they, uh, they all brought something very different to the table. And it, it was interesting. I'm, in the beginning I said, uh, well, I, I do not want to have anything pre-recorded. Um, and I want to let the composer use a max patch or an, uh, something in Ableton to actually take my sound and create on the spot uh, the sonic world that we're going for. And then composers came back and they were like, well, can we add a little pre-recorded sample? And sure enough, at the end, <laughs> I had a couple of pieces that were completely pre-recorded <laughs> and I was just doodling along with one voice and some pieces that were actually following those initial ideas. And... And that's great because now we have six pieces that actually um, cover a huge range of what is possible in such a setup, and and that's I think what you what you hope for is that you don't get too many duplicates. And what you've done is sort of like what a lot of people tried to do in their bedrooms over lockdown of like creating multi-tracks mm -hmm. things but you've seen to you've done it in like the best possible way with like the best you know um equipment and mm -hmm. doing it in an amazing studio um what it, did it take you a long time to record all the parts it took forever yeah, yeah absolutely and uh i realized early on like if i feel the pressure to do this quickly i will fail like i really needed to get into sort of a zen uh 
atmosphere zen mode to say okay it, this just takes a certain amount of time and if i recorded all eight voices and i realized suddenly that voice number two is out of tune then mm. i might have to do at least that one again or others right yeah. because of course you build on top of the other voices so if you have a mistake early on that will sort of carry through yes. the other voices but it's interesting that you mention recording in the bedroom because i did record one track in my bedroom oh. uh, which, which one? is which is og yeah uh, and um and actually Parts of a lobby music that we that we heard just now is actually oh, yeah. also recorded at home, and um, yeah, it's <laughs> no, I, I it's a it. kind of lemonade. Yeah, self <laughs> demonstrating kind of bedroom recording sound that you might have. <laughs> Precisely. Um, do you want a new glass with this without water? Or oh, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I well, I wanted to also use this as an experiment for myself on the album like of course all coming here to tile yard i have the highest end equipment that i could i could dream of but how far can i actually go with the quality of my uh, recording to use my own equipment at home so you know i i dampened out my bedroom to make it sound dead basically and um yeah, recorded OG, and, and I think it's uh, turned out nicely. I, I spent a fortune on a microphone, and uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, again, it's it's that crossroads where you need to have certain amount of instrumental musical chops, but also an understanding of of electronics and and an understanding of how how to actually build a multi track or how to use electronics or how to use a mix patch. And is this something mm. you've really developed over the last couple of years? I know you were interested in recording in mm. different ways prior to this, but do you mm. feel like in one way the pandemic has been favourable to help you really focus in on that? Because I guess you would have been on tour so much prior mm. to that, that finding the time. Well, really, um, my interest uh, is in, in sort of this kind of format and in, in, into electronics and the crossroads of, of, of classical music and electronic music. Um, I've been developing that since the late 90s, I would mm. say. And uh, since I got my hands first on an electric cello, you know. Yeah. And uh, of course, we had completely different software then and uh, p possibilities were not that great. But still, you could hook up an electric cello to, to your laptop and then you would have a huge array of, of effects. And I also had some hardware effects and all that. Um, so it was a process over time. I never really had time to use them and and I always missed it and and lots of my equipment um, for you know touring reasons and, and changing continents I, I lived in New York for, for a while and then came back to Europe all that was sleeping in storage and then when I uh, when I moved to Vienna two months before the pandemic I got to sort of unpack all my toys again and I was like ah at least I can look at them every once in a while. And sure enough, <laughs> two months later, I was um, I was using I was using them daily. That was your whole world. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I and I got to got to connect with that again. And and that was that was great because I remember before I uh, I went to Moscow to participate in the Tchaikovsky competition. My idea was actually to go more into sort of experimental and, and, and contemporary music. And I remember clearly a lunch um, after my uh, after my graduation concert and I spoke with my parents and I was like, you know, I, I think electric cello is kind of where I want to go. And they, they kind of looked at me and they were like, really? Is that a, is that a great idea? And, uh, and so in a way, I'm coming full circle now. 
that uh, that this kind of unfulfilled childhood or youth <laughs> dream um, is now a very realistic part of my life. And I just love the playful aspect of it. And I love that it's it's such a counterweight to the Dvorak and Lalo and Haydn and, and sort of that never-ending search for some kind of perfection, which we all know is unattainable, but still we strive for it, right? I mean, that's, that's I think, the, the big uh, contradiction of our lives is that, that we're constantly striving for something, uh, knowing that it's, it's never going to be there. And um, with, the, with the electric instrument, it's just, you know, sandbox. It's, it's just mm. playground. And, and uh, it feels just so good. a lovely feeling when you come off stage and you've done when you were talking about these sort of uh post-concert concerts almost mm. Mm. was that quite a freeing feeling having played something like the elgar or shostakovich and then going and then getting your electric cello and playing it it must be it's almost like a warm down in a way after something. <laughs> is that right <laughs> yes it is it is and and but, but it does come with its own stress as well uh <laughs> because uh when you have four strings and a wooden box at least you know that it's going to make some sort of sound. But if you come to an electric setup, you have no idea if there's not one cable that is not slight, there's not 100% connected and suddenly nothing sounds anymore. And uh, nothing gives me more stress than, you know, a couple of hundred people uh, kind of looking at me skeptically anyways. And then, <laughs> and then nothing comes out and people are like, well, yeah, that, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I hate to, to let people down. But when it works, it's, it's lovely. And um, it draws in a completely different demographic of people. Not that it scares the core classical listeners away, but it certainly engages with younger listeners. And the curiosity that I'm met with after a performance with the electric cello is fantastic. People not only say, I, I wish how, how you did this, but also, I want to try that myself. And I think that's the, that's the best mm -hmm. response that you can get. And of course, I would, I would hope that people say the same thing about the Dvorak Concerto, but <laughs> you, <laughs> you sometimes get that, that response, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested, I'm really like, interested in the, the technical side of how you made this album. Mm. And, and did you say you recorded it here in this building? Or I did, most yeah. Of it, apart yeah, from much the of one. it, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, were you working with a producer? Or were you, yeah, so... so because when I've tried to do things myself, it's so easy to, to get obsessed about one note or getting one phrase in mm -hmm. tune and you might find yourself, you've recorded it 30 times mm -hmm. and it's like, actually the first one was fine. Mm -hmm. Did you have to kind of set limits or did your producer help to do it? Like, Look, you've got it. Just do one go at it, three goes at it. How did it work? How, how was that? process well i was just gonna say that 30 times still seems like very much within a good limit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're right you come back to early takes and you're like oh that wasn't even half bad yeah um so it really depends on on what the track is uh some of the more classical tracks like the whole work suite uh first of all i needed to produce a click that was um, musical. So I would not use a metronomical click, but I would um, create my own click that had uh, some rubato in it, some phrasing, some sort of some, some musical element of it. And of course, 
before you even record a note to anticipate what kind of rubato would be applicable, um, you kind of need to really make sure that your imagination is right um, for this kind of thing. And yeah, then I would start with the bass line and um, listen to it very carefully just to make sure that the intonation is compatible to what would come afterwards. Um, because if, if my intonation was too expressive, so if, for example, if I took my, my half steps too tight, um, then later on it wouldn't match up with, with all the harmonic um, overlays that would come after. So I would make sure that the Uh, that I'm using very much just intonation um, in comparison to Pritigorean intonation, which I would maybe leave for for the more leading voices. And um, yeah, then I started to uh, build um, track on track. And I wouldn't necessarily go from six, five, four, three, two, one, but I would maybe go six and then see, okay, there's an interesting middle voice in three and record that just to you know, have as many bones in place as possible um, to have a structure that I could later hang on. So it, it wasn't always linear. And then sometimes I would, you know, have all six or eight voices or 12 voices recorded and I would go back to voice number seven or number 11 and just be like, okay, um, what I thought would fit in intonation didn't or what I thought in phrasing would be convincing suddenly in the whole... Uh, you know, ongoings or in, in the whole um, excitement of things is just uh, not audible anymore. So I would have to re-record that. And I had incredibly patient producers, I must say. Uh, <laughs> they were much more patient than I was with myself. I mean, I remember recording uh, by myself, as I said, in, in the bedroom. And uh, I would... I would start screaming after a while, you know, because I, I just I just couldn't believe how incompetent uh, I would become with with each take that I would add. It, it, the incompetence was just rising, and uh, it's nice to have to have a producer in the booth that is just like, okay, uh, we got this. We can always come back. Let's yeah. just move on for now. And uh, I think a good producer is as much a psychiatrist as they are a, <laughs> yeah. a musical right. producer i think, I think so yeah. if, even if it's just them stopping you screaming like, <laughs> exactly exactly right. i wish i had someone like that in life for me right so it's, just <laughs> yes, like, exactly. it's all gonna be fine traffic <laughs> is just what it is you know? <laughs> which was the most painstaking would you say to record that was definitely uh fratres by right. um oh, Pelt. Mm. yeah yeah um those three-part harmonics, together with um, the uh, with with a low G and D that is ongoing, that was tough, um, and that was one of the tracks where, at the end, I was completely exhausted, but I also felt very zen because mm -hmm. uh, you have to give into the mood completely. You you th there is no shortcutting it at all. And uh, till the very last note, um, you know, to to keep that mood and to to keep that um way of being centered it certainly wasn't easy and um i could i could see the eyes of my producers uh, sort of glossing over and, and, and just <laughs> everybody got a little bit more calm than i than they are in real life but um in the end i mean this is, is magical music but i and i knew that i was i was getting into quite a you know quite a big challenge because I've played this piece a couple of times live with other cellists and of course what is nice when you do something live is that you can react to each other and you can you can 
change and adjust um, in the moment. I mean, you know, you you being sometimes in, in, like let's say let's say and with with other um, brass players, you know mm. exactly that you have to move quickly with yeah. intonation, right, in order to to find uh, your place in the intonation, and that can be done almost intuitively when you're playing live. I mean, that's that's the beauty of, of having experience, but also knowing a little bit about the construction of intonation. But when you record it, if you, you know, build something, then then you you cannot correct the voice that's already been recorded. I mean, you need to go back and, and do it again. And that can feel really like an endless journey because then once the intonation is right, is is the atmosphere right, and so on and so on. And at some point, you just have to say, okay, it is what it is, and and we're gonna we're gonna move on. And the next day that I listen to it, I'm I really just want to end everything and <laughs> just throw everything out the window. No. But it does get better listening to it. I find. Um, but I think if, if there is one truth in recording, it's it's that a recording expires the day after. Like like your what you thought was sort of the truth, or what you thought was. Uh, really, what this track needs to be the next day. It's like, what, what, what did you do? What did you think? You know, it sounds like you you didn't know anything, and that's. I think that's normal. I think over the over the years, also recording, let's say more standard classical things. I I came to the realization that um, recordings are like diary entries, and and this is how I thought about the Brahms Sonata in two thousand eight. You know, and then to be fine with that. And to just see it as a part of your own history and, and, and just accept that, that you were thinking wrongly <laughs> at that time. Yeah, it's a very lovely thing, though, isn't it? It's, it's great to sort of chart, you know, it becoming part yeah. of your life. That's you have to, otherwise you yeah. just, you'll never release it. You'll be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'll do a bit more next month or something. You, you've got to draw a line. It'll point. never come out. Yeah, it'll yeah. never come out. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
But something like, for example, like the barber adagio for strings, mm. which has got a very clear kind of build in it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, I mean, would you record the, one of the tracks in its entirety first? How do you pace like the, the kind of emotional build of it? Mm-hmm. Or would you get to the end and go, oh, I could, I could do that again? Or how, how do you approach that? Well, I was trying not to jump around too much because then it can become very, very sort of frantic also in the process. And um, I I realized with a with a producer when, whenever I said, oh, let me do X and Y again and just go to a different uh, different voice, for example. It takes them also some time to to put the cursor in, in that position and to, mm. to get you right in. And... In a way, the the time that you lose by jumping around is is just a little bit too much. So I, I would record actually um, a voice in its entirety, and then come back for specific places and just replace them. Um, what I did realize is is that uh, you cannot always anticipate the emotional curve that it takes. And then sometimes it just wouldn't be enough or sometimes it would just be overshooting the emotional curve. And so I would have to to do those spots again. Um, but as much as it is sort of looking into a crystal ball and be like, well, this will, will probably sound great once the other eight voices are added. Um, I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows? You, you, just, you just have to have to try it. Um but as much as it is looking into that crystal ball, it's also a confrontation with yourself, right? Because yeah. you you listen the whole day to the stuff that you've been doing and some of it is okay and some of it is dreadful, or at least you think so. And so um, to to be at peace with that was also very hard for me, I must say, because it's, um, as I said, anyways, uh, some people even uh, get a... <laughs> get a seizure listening to their own voice on the answering machine or something like that, right? And, and it's a little bit like that. If you, if you have too little time between what you've recorded and what you're listening back to, it's, it's hard to stomach that, I think. And, and so that was a big learning curve for me as well. That's it. really struck me listening to it particularly something like the popper requiem was how you've so brilliantly managed to really create what sounds like different cellists different personalities in each mm. line that might sound like an obvious thing to say but you know it can so easily we were talking about this earlier seb and i that you can often record and it's it just it's like you and each track it just kind of doesn't work but it's just so stunning you can really pick out the different voicing mm. and it, yeah, it feels like different personalities coming mm-hmm. through as well. So, did you kind of get in, almost get into character mm-hmm. with those different lines? I did actually, yes, and that was a, it was absolutely a necessity because I did not want this to sound absolutely samey. Mm. I was even gonna consider using different instruments, um, but. Then again, after after trying that, uh, I still realized that you cannot take yourself out of the equation just by using a different different piece of wood. I mean, it's still you. It's your vibrato. It's your way of breathing. It's your way of uh, phrasing. So yeah, I, I created personalities, mm. um, and I said, well, this one, 
has a little bit more coffee uh, in in her <laughs> in herself. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, did you name them? Uh, sorry, I should have. Oh, I should have absolutely. <laughs> like, come on, Fred, you can do better than this. Um, and to to actually see, okay, this 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 person likes the phrase a little bit more tight, or comes in a little bit earlier on the beat, or or, or a little bit more smooth and stuff like that. Um, and that, of course, only goes so far because then you you mask yourself, and you don't want to put too much of an in between thought or too much of a mask in between yourself and and the material, right? But just enough to sort of have slightly different characters. Now, in the mix, um, the the mixing person actually um, used quite a bit of filters at first um, and quite a little bit of EQing to get different characters, and I didn't like that at all um, because. It seemed after a while that that some instruments sounded just really nasal and other really damp, and I was like, "Well, neither of those are are what I was going for." Please trust that I was I was trying to give them already some personality. So instead of um, changing too much in the EQing of each voice, uh, we tried to space them out maybe a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean. At the end of the day, uh, we have to accept it's one person behind the instruments. And that's just what it is. I mean, we're, we're not... If I wanted to have 12 different sounding cellos in the hymnos, I would invite all my friends, right? Mm, yeah. sure. But, you know, <laughs> hello, corona happened, so it yeah. just wasn't possible. <laughs> and and so I think we just have to accept this as, as one parameter of the sport, is that, yeah, it is one person, and one person brings their personality and their breathing and their heartbeat and, and, and their fingers uh, to... to uh, to the recording. Mm. Were you using one microphone for this or did you have a sort of stereo set up and move around the room or did you try all those different techniques? Like? Um, I stayed in the same position. We did have about three, sometimes four different microphones going. So that's what the producer could actually use is, is a different mix of microphones. Mm. So we would have um, some classic Neumanns, then we would have some really old Neumanns as well um, and uh, some Sennheisers as well and uh, I think there was some Schups in there as well, yeah. which are excellent. Yeah. Um, and it's so interesting that that even within one company, the characteristics of a microphone can vary so much, right? And uh, you almost get more difference in personality than when you try to differentiate something yourself at the instrument. So uh, we felt that giving that to the mixer and, and to have like maybe three or four microphones per voice, um, he could already do a lot in, in that mix in that way. Mm. Uh, without losing the sonority or without losing the treble in, in that way. Um, but th the room is far too small to move around. I mean, there, there was <laughs> there was uh, one spot. And also the room is so dead that it wouldn't, uh, it doesn't bring any personality with it. So right. so if I were to move around, it wouldn't really reflect so much yeah, yeah. in the... In, in the in the result of of the sound picture, shall we say? You got some beautiful reverbs, like, that very natural sounding, but really beautiful. Because mm -hmm. like I mean, reverb can be overused, uh, and it mm. can be it can sound a bit strange, and you might want it to sound a bit otherworldly and and that. But it sounds real. Did you did you have any of that in your cans when you were listening to kind of help? Because recording in a dead space can be a bit bit strange. Um, did did you try that? Did that help you record? No, I wanted to have the absolute honest, dry, right, terrifyingly sounding yeah. <laughs> cello sound that I could have in my in my earphones to 
not to sugarcoat any, um, let's say, failure in intonation or, or any rhythmical um, shortcomings, so to speak. So mm. I, I really wanted to have the, the absolute honest product so that when we would add some uh, reverb to it, uh, it would it would sound great. Because, of course, yeah. as, as great as, as reverb is, it can also multiply and magnify, let's say, an intonation shortcoming or, or a rhythmical um, un, un, unclear spot, mm. for example. So I needed to make sure that that I have the the raw intonation uh, raw information from from my tracks, yeah. and then um, we could put some makeup <laughs> later on. Wow, yeah. that's a hardcore way of it doing really it. That was hardcore. I can that tell is, you, yeah, yeah. And it's not great for your ego either. No, actually, no. <laughs> that's like oh. the opposite of what we were saying about feeling free after yeah. after playing your concerto and then going hmm. out into the foyer and playing this electric. That sounds like maybe coming back to playing concertos might have been the freeing, <laughs> freeing thing. Well, but you know, if that's the effect, I'll take it. Great, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, absolutely. if, if um, I think the, the more things you try in in, in a variety, and, and that, that goes for cello as much as as it goes for life, I think it it just shows you what the benefits are that you've otherwise overlooked, or mm. what the what the difficulties or what the challenges are, and. Um, that's why I love this little adventure with the electric cello so much because yeah. it, it just um, gives me so many more aspects of what I thought was a sort of hermetically closed world, but it's not. Uh, I mean, you, you, you can branch out in, 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 in so many ways. Mm. And, um, you know, some of these adventures are a dead-end road and, and some of them lead to something like this album. So you never know in, in, the, in the beginning of it. But I... I'd rather try a dead end than, than not branch out at all, you know, mm. kind of thing. Yeah. We were talking about um, Platoon, who you've worked with on this album. Mm. Um, so it sounds like they gave you a whole load of creative freedom. And it's mm. so interesting because they have lots of people who are from the pop world mm -hmm. and various genres. Did you find that quite refreshing, actually, to work with people outside of the classical world? Um, did they kind of bring fresh ideas about even things like promotion and and kind of getting the album out there. Kind of things that I feel like the classical world sometimes lacks, uh, that self-promotion aspect. Mm -hmm. It's something we kind of fall short on, isn't it, where others have done so well. Did they help out in that way? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so many aspects here that you wouldn't find with a, let's say, a traditional classical label. First and foremost, of course, we're probably not going to have a CD of this project. You know, right. we might have some vinyl later on uh, for all you hipsters out there. <laughs> <laughs> we love vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we adore it. Um, but the, um, the idea that you create something that is only going to live in the digital world, so you're not going to have something to put in the shelf, even though you might never remove the wrapper um, of, of <laughs> foil yeah. around it, but it, it just lives in your uh, in your library. Uh, that was actually something that I had to get used to at first, the, this idea. But I knew that it was the way forward because I don't have a CD player anymore. I only know people that have older cars that listen to all their CDs in their cars, right? And... Um, just to have a CD for sentimental value, I thought, wasn't enough. Um, so to actually create a fully digital product was was a big leap for me and a, and a big um, moment of trusting that this would be the right thing. Um, when it came to the recording part of it, 
the studio that I recorded in is basically dead in sound, and that is very unusual for any kind of classical recording. But it's absolutely essential when you do multi-track because you don't want the reverb of the room add on through each track. So, you know, you end up with sort of a huge mush of sound at the end um, before even putting reverb on. So we needed a really dead end. So that was great to have sort of this pop studio mm. uh, environment um, to, to to work with. Um, and yeah, just you know, thinking of the promotion of the album and thinking on, on, on how we um, worked with, with Premiere and, and, and also with, with my uh, German publicist. Um, it's just that people think a little bit bigger and don't necessarily start with the things that they already know that never worked and they're impossible, but they're like, yeah, let's just try it. Let's just let's try something. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't remember recording a music video for my Brahms Sonata <laughs> <laughs> recording, <laughs> and um, you know, just just to to incorporate those things. I think what was important for me is that I didn't just want to create a lesser pop album. I mean, I wanted to create an album of um, acoustic uh, electronic music that didn't necessarily. Um, have to be some kind of genre or, or to be sort of, you know, labeled as pop or labeled as classical or something. I mean, it's 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 kind of an in-between thing. Um, but as we've seen in the last uh, 15 years, uh, the, the way we've been doing things have not been going so great with a few exceptions. And so to, to find new ways of, of presenting music without alienating your core classical listener i think is is the biggest challenge because if you throw everything that you've been doing so far out the window then you lose a huge demographic of of classical music listeners i remember when um the classical music station in bavaria by Anfia classic for a short period of time uh instead of playing whole symphonies and announcing the symphonies they would just play movements and wouldn't even say who was conducting it or or you know was playing it that was a huge uproar and i think rightfully so because there is a certain group of people that that tune in uh, and they want their music to be presented in a certain way and especially with with classical music maybe the demographic is a little bit older which a lot of people see as a problem and i think it's fantastic i mean we we, we have we have a wonderful listeners base um also, we, especially in, in, in our Western world, we don't have a shortage of older people and people that have time. And that, uh, you know, if, if you are in your 30s and you need to look for a babysitter and then you need to um, make sure that uh, that, that you, you leave work on time and uh, all these kind of things, then maybe you're really tired from work and still you have to listen to the whole Tristan. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's... It's a huge challenge and maybe classical music and maybe long form and maybe sitting in a concert hall is for a certain time of your life, you know. What is important is that you get exposure at an early time and that you that you remember when you turn, I don't know, mid-50s or 60 that you were like, ah, when I was a teenager, I loved my piano lessons, so I'm going to go back to that. Or I loved playing in youth orchestra or, you know, maybe some people even considered studying music and it didn't turn out for them and then, then they come come back to it. So I think that we need to be very careful with these changes that we take everybody on board and that we take everybody seriously. And um, and yeah, we'll see if, if, if this album actually 
works for that. But I was trying to give something for for everybody and for for the whole demographic rather than uh, just making a hundred percent cut and and just making this for you know the fourteen to twenty five year olds. Yeah, quite. Mm-hmm. How does that business model work if you're not selling the album? Mm. at all is is it are there going to be gigs some live performances of this well most of the revenue for the album is going to be streaming so okay, yeah um the as you know the the money you get per stream is like is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction yeah. of a penny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um with platoon being so well connected with the um DSPs, the digital streaming services, um, they're able to get the tracks on very good playlists. Mm. And that's how people commu- uh, consume music at the moment. Is They don't necessarily look for XY performer, but they're like, okay, I'm working, so I'm going to look for classical music for work, or I'm going to look for pop music for running, or I'm going to look for rap music for sleeping. I don't know if it's out there, but there might be. There yeah. might be. <laughs> sure. I'm sure. There's something for everybody. Uh, and so the um the point is to of course um get on, on on those 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 good playlists and and the promotion that i that i can do with my concert work um is definitely gonna can help and you know me playing um like lobby concerts before or or attaching that to my classical cello playing but it might be that this is actually not something that like in a in a in the rock world where where um, the uh, album just works as a promotional tool for your touring, right? Because that's that's how it works these days. I think. Mm. I mean, you, mm. you you earn the money on the tour, and then you also have a lot of merch. I mean, I don't necessarily sell T-shirts with right? the Johannes Mosel. I should probably. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you should. Tote bags. I'm going to put a shout out for tote bags. Oh, there you Love go. <laughs> or a pencil with a pencil. magnet on it. Yeah. To put on your stand. What do you think to that? Uh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've been pushing that ever since we started this podcast. Nobody's really gone for it, no. have they? Okay. Don't worry. Don't feel you have to. <laughs> looking at your classical repertoire, I was mm. wondering, because I was looking at your concert diary for the past year, what you've been doing, huge repertoire, one after the other, often very close together. Mm. And I was thinking, how on earth do you keep yourself in physical could shape for mm. these do you do you have special routines and regimes to make sure you're physically fit for absolutely um so i'm i'm usually doing a lot of running swimming mm. um i do yoga every morning um i just had corona uh, four months ago oh. so the running was out the window for a while um yeah. just just because my lung was a little bit challenged um but and and I do feel you know sort of that it's taking a toll on concentration as well. So I'm I'm hoping to regain that quickly. Um, but I think that's something that a lot of people are experiencing at the moment, and um, especially with a sort of time sensitive thing like music making. Of course, the stress level is very high um, when you're not quite awake or or when when you're not quite fit mentally. So you know I think that's especially for musicians. If you are hit a little bit harder from Corona, it's actually quite of a challenge. Um, really enough, with with the concerti that I've always been playing, like Dvorak or Lalo or Haydn, uh, they're stored so so well in in mm-hmm. the brain that they, they just go by themselves. 
it's it's almost frightening in that way <laughs> <laughs> like how little impact i have <laughs> with my consciousness yeah. on on that repertoire but um if it's if it's about learning new things it's it's just a little bit more challenging but um yeah to keep fit i think a mixture of of physical and um you know getting enough sleep uh, what i do find now that i've been teaching for 10 years is that the repertoire uh, that is kind of standard that, that I'm also doing with my students is coming much easier to me. Um, just because I've been talking about, let's say, the Dorja Concerto for, you know, and, and with so many different people and just trying to explore with them what this music can do and, and what kind of content it has and what is sort of behind the notes. And um, that's helping me immensely to to have a quicker... To get the pieces back up and running quicker, I, yeah. I would say um, that's that's been very helpful. Uh, does mean, it give you a kind of new perspective on them when you're teaching them to somebody else? Are you finding new things in those? Oh, constantly. Yeah. And if I learn new repertoire, the yeah. first thing I do is I, I pick two students and I'm like, "You learn this now." <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, when I, I I learned the the Sinfonia Concertante relatively late, like a couple of years ago, and and yeah, I gave it to two students. And uh, we learned it together. And for, of course, for them, it's it's fun because they realize that we're doing this together. This is not just something that they bring and then I try to shoot it down. But 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 we're actually trying to create something together. So they they feel like they're part of the team. Um, and for me, it's great because I I get to see different kinds of problem solving and kind of different approach to uh, problems that I'm also facing. Mm. And um, and that is hugely a huge inspiration, I would say. Mm. would you be the three of you in a room and sort of pl play play bits each other and say what do you think of that and how would they work um that that happens from time to time it's it's a little bit hard of course to get feedback from them on my playing because oh, yeah. they <laughs> they, they, want to be, great. they want to be smart <laughs> politically so i think oh well my goodness so good and i realized like it was complete uh, terrible <laughs> and so i mean th that that could work in theory um, maybe with with some of the the um, older students that you know find their find their way and their 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 um, yeah are just a little bit more secure in also in their relationship with me. But um, I just also find like if I if I have to play a passage to a student and I realize oh this really isn't up for for the task yet I I, I know what to go back to when I go back to my own practice for yeah. example yeah and i don't want to make a fool out of myself in front of my students either yeah. so um yeah it keeps me keeps me definitely on my toes I yeah were you doing much teaching before you say 10 years had you done much before that at all just in master classes and okay. that was a huge learning curve mm. and i feel almost sorry for the students that i took on in 2012 yeah uh, because of course i wanted to correct everything in 60 minutes instead of being like okay i'm gonna take these two aspects and we're gonna work on those and just sort of pull myself out otherwise and that's the hardest thing because that's not how i work with myself right i mean i'm i'm very hard on myself i would i would say you know if i if i were to apply the same sort of pressure that i applied to myself to, that you know to apply to my students i, I think we would have a very uh, troubled relationship you know, um, and, and they would feel uh, not good come, going out of the lessons. And I mean, I'm I'm not there to to sort of do feel good teaching, but I also know that if you apply too much pressure, then um, it's not going to be productive. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. need that for my ego either. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's it's important to me that that I just pick a few things to work on, and that we also revisit those things, and then then take it from there. And I mean, I'm I'm learning every day about teaching, uh, for sure. Whenever I go back to Cologne to to teach my students, I mean, I'm I'm learning as much as as they are, probably more. And um, of course, I had some courses in in, in how to teach and, and how how to go about this. But really, you learn on the job, I think. And and everybody's different. Each student is different. You cannot do one size fits all. Which we used to have, right? I mean, if, if you remember like the big cello schools from the 50s and 60s, you had the Russian school, yeah. and you had the French school, and you had the German Grützmacher school, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, just just uh, different camps. And you would do things according to your camp. And and you could still see that with with someone like Heinrich Schiff that was holding on to, to this kind of idea. Uh, or with my teacher David Geringas, mm. uh, that they were very much part of their camp, and with music being now such an I would say such a international and also such a such a task with such a variety, I think holding on to schools is something of the past. I think we need to uh, first of all be open to everything. And uh, you need to be, you know, versatile in your Baroque playing as much in, as in your uh, 21st century um, pieces that where the ink is still wet. Yeah. And so in a way, uh, you, you cannot play everything the same anymore. The counter argument, of course, is that when I turn on the radio and um, I listen to one note of Fostopovich, I know who it is. And regardless if he's playing Bach or Ludoslavsky, yeah, it's it's clear from the sound. So maybe with with trying to be as versatile and as as specific to each time and to to each piece of music, we're kind of maybe giving up a little bit of our own um, sound. Where you know, in in order to serve the piece rather than sort of be self serving. It's kind of what you were saying earlier, though, as well that. No matter what you do, when you were talking about the different voicings in this mm. album, that always you you will come out, you will come mm. through, and mm. and actually it's really lovely, isn't it? When even whatever mm. genre and whatever style you're playing, mm. it'll still have you at the core of it. Yeah, and that's that's great, and mm. that's that's also sometimes it shows me my limits, yeah. right? I mean, for example, I tried gut strings. I really tried. <laughs> I really tried, but they defeated me. <laughs> <laughs> they sure did. And uh, I mean, maybe if I put in a little bit more work, I, I could, I could fake my way through it. But oh, I don't think I'd bother with that. No. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a important chunk of of music that that you know gets a little bit lost with with steel strings, so to speak. And and uh, but that's, for example, an area where I say other people can just do it better, and and uh, and that's fine. But I think you also then need to need to know you accept your limits and and you know I'm I'm not gonna play a Vivaldi concerto necessarily on on, on steel strings I'm, I'm just not gonna play it mm. Mm. so that's it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much longer we got are we I was gonna say maybe. Are we losing you to the BBC now, oh. I think, aren't we? Yeah. You guys win. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Blow them! <laughs> well, thank you so much oh, for, yeah. for chatting to us. Yeah, thank you. Been, thank you. That was lovely. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Great to have sort of an in-depth chat and not just sort of a superficial one. Thank yeah. you so much. That's great. 
Well, thank you very much, Johannes. That was, what a joy uh, to meet him. He's such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just one of the best cellists around. And I can't believe, well, we were so lucky to get some time with him. Yeah. I think he did appreciate getting to chat in depth about that, especially all the technical stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. And because he was going straight off to do a, a little, there's a little radio station called Radio 3. Oh. Um, they've got a show in tune. He was going <laughs> he off to was. do that. Obviously, they're they're amazing, but um, they probably wouldn't have had as much time. They definitely wouldn't have had as much time to just uh, talk about reverbs and and uh, microphones and stuff for an hour like <laughs> yeah. we did. Yeah, and he's really passionate about it, isn't he? Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that he can go and and bash out a Vorjak concerto, or well, not bash out. He'll play it beautifully, but you know what I mean. He can do all the standard repertoire. No, he does it. He doesn't even have so to think well. about any of that. He just, uh, he just <laughs> he doesn't have to bash it out. He just goes there, sits down, and what forty minutes later, it's done. And he yeah. didn't even have to think about it. Just flows through him, and then and then he'll go out and do all of this kind of amazing contemporary stuff in the foyer afterwards i love that yeah oh it's it's so cool is it to, to be pushing the boundaries of of what you can do as a cellist yeah, yeah it seems yeah, like yeah. it sounds like there's actually there's no limits because with the electric cello i don't really know about electric cello have you played electric mm. cello before like only once and i would never have said that to him <laughs> because <laughs> if he pushed me on it what i would have said would have been ridiculous i've only played it in a very basic sense it's but, quite quite different what, what sounds do you, can you get any sound you want mm. to come out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that's what he does. Having listened to some of these tracks, mm. it's hugely manipulated. It sounds completely different. It could be an entirely different instrument. Mm. Even, but even the way you hold it and the way that it looks, it's, it looks like a completely different thing. Yeah. Much closer to like a bass guitar or something, really, apart from that you stand with it. But it doesn't look like your standard cello. No. Yeah, but mm. it just means there's infinite possibilities. Mm. Um, yeah wow exciting but, times in cello world isn't it yeah yeah there'll be atmos as well i really want to get one of those oh, one go day on, Seb. Do you think everyone will have one one day <laughs> yeah i hope so when they're selling them down at argos <laughs> when they're when they're selling them in fleet services by the toilets <laughs> you know, yeah in you those baskets an iPhone case. <laughs> yeah. yeah i'd like a three for one on your Haribo and I'll take a Dolby Atmos, please. <laughs> well, that was, that was Johannes. Thank you. Um, we, we should, uh, we should talk about our, our gig we did the other day. Oh, we must. Are you recovered, Seb? Have I recovered? Mentally. Yeah, because. No. I haven't. I haven't recovered. I just had to go and have a little sleep for 20 minutes. I'm exhausted still. <laughs> yeah. We did, well, we, so this was the three in a bar live show we did at the Red Lion. We did it last Sunday and we did this interview with, with Johannes the next day. So yeah. we couldn't really fully relax after that, like the, as soon as the live stream finished. And then we did another <laughs> bit for just the audience there. But even then we couldn't fully relax because like, we've actually got to do this important chat the next day. Yeah. But um, when that was done, that was great, wasn't it? Oh, it was great. That but, pint of beer afterwards was yeah. truly a joyous thing. But it's all been amazing. And yeah. the show was great, wasn't it? It went well, So much fun. Yeah. yeah. You can amazing watch music. it, listener, if you haven't seen it. If you mm. weren't there or you haven't seen it live, it is still on YouTube. It, it should remain there. 
mm-hmm. and you can watch it. There's, um, I don't know how long it was in the end, because I think we started through some technical issues <laughs> about 25 minutes late. Oh, Sorry. that's right. That's right. But I still think it's a good long time. I think it's about 70, 80 minutes, something like that. Yeah, just good. fantastic music. I tell you what, Kuljit Bamra, isn't he great? Oh, yeah, he was brilliant. And he was so good. He was so entertaining and fascinating. And mm. what is great, because it, he the music he plays on tabla is is really only improvised ever. You don't tend to play pieces that other people have written. Mm. So so he just improvised and used the audience that were there to clap along and to to join in and he was just fully engaged looking around and reacting to people and uh and yeah. in a very humorous way as well. Doing <laughs> yes. some, he's brilliant. So we're gonna uh hopefully get him back on again for yeah, a, incredibly, a chat. he's a, he's agreed to he's come agreed. and talk to us again. Extraordinary as that might seem. Um, <laughs> He'll but we be had back. brilliant. We had Christoph van der Ven. Oh, we played yeah. with him um, with the the old dirty brasses. We played with him, and Estilo played a song with him. Mm-hmm. And then we had Georgia van Etten, who wow, what an incredible singer! That, what a voice! That, what do you call that high, like Mariah Carey singing? Oh, I don't know. Is it like what is? Yeah, is it called altissimo? Or is that that's is a saxophone it, thing? <laughs> so, is it so, sopranissimo? Is that, that would make utter sense because it, it is ruddy high. Something like that. It's just really high. <laughs> yeah. Amy Bird, she, amazing. Ah, oh, fantastic. And Brastards, Brastards, brilliant. Did some songs. Henry in particular, my son, loved he you guys. He really expressed himself, didn't he? On the <laughs> he was so expressive. He loved it. Yeah. Uh, anyone else we've forgotten? Estilo we played. Estilo. Did, well, uh, yes, yeah. I'm, of course I'm... I mentioned you. I hadn't forgotten you. You did. Stilo did, did very well. <laughs> Thank you. And angling. <laughs> and our live link up to Norway to chat to Sarah oh. Lee and Rob Wilson and yeah. Jake from mm. the Irene Taylor Trust. That all worked miraculously. It really is a miracle. Because that hadn't actually been checked, had it, that bit? No, no. It, Even as we were wandering over to go and talk to them, I was thinking, are they going to be there? can't believe that. And they were. (laughs) So thanks to everyone that uh, played, everyone that was involved in the crew, Mm, everyone that helped in any way, people that came, took photos, um, so many, uh, so many people involved. Thanks to people that came and watched. Mm. And we'll do more, right? Yeah, we will. When we've, when we've recovered from this one, we'll do another one, shall we? Yeah. We've learned some lessons, haven't we? We've, um, we can tweak a few things. We've got other plans. It's all very yeah. exciting. Oh, I should say, yes. if you do still want to donate to the Irene Taylor Trust, who we who we put this on in aid of, um, the link is paypal.me forward slash three in a bar. And anything you donate will go straight to the Irene Taylor Trust, who yes. are incredible. Really, I'll put a link in the show notes as well to have, take a look at them if you want yeah. to find out some more. If you wanna, They're amazing. If you want to hear even more about them, then you can check out our episode we did with Sarah Lee, who, yeah. um, what's her position there? She runs it. Yeah, I always say artistic director, but artistic I think director. she's, and that's a lot, but I think she's way more than that even. CEO, <laughs> something like that. Let's go with that. Something She'll like be that. pleased if she isn't. She'll be like, yes, okay, <laughs> promotion. <laughs> um, this episode with Johannes Moser, has been supported by Chimney Fire Coffee. 
Oh, yeah. Thanks, lads. Oh, thank you, as always. And um, if you love coffee, and my God, I do. (laughs) You like coffee too, right, Perisic? I love coffee. Before we went to meet Johannes, I had so much coffee that when we were in our cab on the way up there, I was sort of uh, like operating at double speed. It was terrifying. (laughs) It worked. It was a good fit for you, actually, all that coffee. (laughs) Is that right? Mm. (laughs) So if you'd like to get some coffee and you can get a lovely discount, head on over to chimneyfirecoffee.com and use the offer code 3INABAR for 20% off your first coffee order. Bargain. Yeah, what a bargain. If I hadn't already used that code many times, I'd use it again. We also have a Patreon, so you can support this show generally for £3.50 a month plus VAT. Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash three in a bar. Yeah, and you do get loads of treats. Often we'll give you extra uh, bonus material. We'll give you heads up early on any kind of events that are coming up when we do another of our live shows, you know, all that jazz. And I'm sure there'll be more. I mean, we even yes. talked to Johannes about that whole pencil magnet scenario, didn't we? And uh, mm. he wasn't going for it. <laughs> uh, he didn't, but but one day we'll have merch like that. Uh, we, we usually will. have extra content of every every person. This week, though, we just kept it all in. Mm. Which you all deserve would. to hear it, all yeah. of you. And, you know, for example, we gave away free tickets to all our Patreons to the live show. That's that right. happened. So yeah. uh, all that kind of thing. And you just come and support the show. Um, I feel like we've waffled a lot, you know. I think we should go. We if should anyone go. is still here, you can go now. Thanks for sticking it out. Thanks so much. Here's a bit more Johannes Moser to play us out. Check out the album in full. It's out on all the platforms. Go and stream that thing. It's dead good. Go now. Do it. Off you go. See you later. Go on. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack. 
for free shipping and 365-day returns.